Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by and welcome to the PAYDO second quarter 2020 financial results conference call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. Please be advised that today's conference may be recorded. If you require any further assistance, please press star 0. I would now like to hand the conference over to your speaker today, Darren G., President and Chief Executive Officer. Please go ahead, sir. Well, thanks, Josh, and good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, thanks for tuning in to PAYDO's second quarter 2020 results conference call. Uh, before we get started uh, today, I would like to just to remind everybody that uh, all the statements made by the company during this call are subject to the forward-looking disclaimer and advisory set forth in the company's news release issued yesterday. In the room with me, uh, we've got the entire PAYDO management team, uh, Kathy Turgeon, our chief financial officer, JP Lachance, our chief Operating Officer, uh, Dave Thomas, our VP Exploration is here, uh, Todd Burdick, our VP Production, Lee Currens, VP Drilling and Completions, Tim Lewis, VP of Land, he's here, and so Scott Robinson, our VP of Business Development. So if you got questions for any of those guys, uh, fire away today. Um, before we get started, though, uh, with my comments on the quarter and our results, I, I did want to recognize the efforts of our field personnel and the rest of the PAYDO team. Uh, this is a very difficult time in our industry, obviously. Uh, the weather in the second quarter was very challenging also. So I just want to take this opportunity on behalf of PAYDO shareholders um, to thank all of our field people and all of our team here in Calgary for the fantastic job they're doing every day. As one of the larger natural gas producers in Alberta, it's critically important that PAYDO continues to provide the energy that Albertans need to power their homes and hospitals and schools and supermarkets. In Alberta today, over 55%, I think, of the electricity that Albertans use is generated by natural gas. So we're very much dependent on our natural gas industry. And so a big thank you for, uh, to our guys for continuing to keep the lights on. So on to our second quarter results. Uh, operationally, the second quarter was quite wet actually. Uh, in a typical year, once the snow melts and surface conditions uh, dry up, we're usually able to move all of our heavy equipment around again, <clears throat> so long as we don't see too many spring rainfalls. Um, not the case this year. Up in the Edson country, we saw a lot of spring rain that swelled rivers and filled ditches and uh, water was flowing over roads, and so obviously that meant uh, moving heavy equipment around, uh, particularly heavy stuff like frack pumpers, was very difficult. We didn't want to spend a whole bunch of money dragging the heavy gear around. But we did manage to continue to drill from some pre-constructed pad sites. Um, but as I mentioned, getting, getting frack equipment in to complete was a problem. And so that meant we had a bit of a backlog for completions uh, by the end of the second quarter and, and on into July that we're still working on. With the wells that we were able to complete and tie in, uh, we were able to hold our production relatively flat. Uh, since gas prices didn't fall nearly as much as oil prices, we didn't have to shut in any production during the quarter. 
like many of the oil producers did, and thankfully uh, condensate uh, kept flowing as well. Uh, we did build some storage just in case. Uh, we drilled some interesting wells in the quarter, had some very nice results down in our Brazo area. As I mentioned in my monthly report uh, this month, we've seen production in Braz climb about 50% from 10,000 barrels a day up to 15,000 throughout the first half of this year. So that's evidence of the good results that we're seeing down there and we plan to continue to have a very active year in Braz. <coughs> that will be an area with growing production I think for the next uh, many quarters. As mentioned in the release, we also drilled some extended reach horizontals in the Wheelridge formation uh, during the quarter trying to test out uh, this concept of opening up more reservoir with each wellbore. Uh, this is expected to uh, give us better productivities and increased reserve recovery for each well and for every dollar of capital that we spend. So we're looking uh, closely at those wells over the next few months uh, and then we'll decide whether we want to continue in that vein with uh, even longer horizontals. I, th I think these three wells just came on production this week, so uh, we'll be watching them closely. Thankfully, we, uh, we did find ourselves aligned with uh, good service companies that remain a going concern in the quarter. You know, sadly, the extremely low commodity prices and low levels of activity are, are really decimating our oil field services industry, and so we need to pick and choose our counterparties carefully. Uh, hopefully, enough companies do survive this. <clears throat> so that when commodity prices recover, we can, as an industry, increase our activity again. But it's, uh, it's a very delicate situation right now for many. Uh, we are planning on increasing our capital program next year, assuming the current strip for gas prices comes to fruition, uh, but we don't think it will take much more than the four rigs we're currently running. Uh, we figured it was better to keep all this equipment and all, all the crews on that equipment working this year, e even if it was intermittently. So we have it for next year when we want to speed up. That way we don't uh, run any risk that uh, when we go to speed up and if everyone else goes to speed up, uh, there won't be any equipment or crews available. We expect that uh, with the higher prices on the strip and, and growing production this year, we'll have significantly more cash flow to fund a larger capital program next year, so we're excited about that. Financial results for the second quarter were clearly impacted by COVID and the pandemic impact on global and North American energy consumption and the commodity prices for all that energy. M most producers wish they were better hedged and so did we. <laughs> Unfortunately, natural gas prices have been weak for a while. Obviously, ACO prices from 2017 to, or 17 to 2019 were extremely weak and so created an environment where we didn't want to lock very much of that price in. So we were not as hedged as we would have preferred to be when the pandemic hit. But uh, now that prices have recovered some, we're, we're hedging a lot more going forward uh, and we're looking to get back to those more historic levels of hedge coverage that uh, Pato used to have in the past on, on our products. Cost-wise, I think we did a pretty good job maintaining our industry-leading low costs in the quarter. Uh, operating costs are, are still obviously strongly dominated with government costs as we broke out in our MDNA. Um, we're working with industry groups and the government to see if we can bring those down. Um, particularly the municipal taxes, uh, that's an area that's of concern. The municipalities in Alberta are sitting on a collective $17 billion war chest a surplus that they've accumulated over the last several years and yet they continue to overcharge our industry with taxes. So. Uh, 
clearly that has to change going forward and uh, we're working with government to make those changes. Our field operations are already running very efficient, but uh, we're going to keep grinding away and looking for more ways to cut costs. We've got several initiatives underway that we're working on uh, on that front, so uh, Todd can probably elaborate on that a little later. Uh, we're having success uh, optimizing our transportation costs, um, mo most of which is just firm NGTL receipt service at this point but we had definitely carried uh, a bunch of extra service um, in case during the NGTL expansion there was service restrictions, which we had anticipated, but we're, uh, we're starting to let that extra service go now, and we're starting to find that we can work with other operators to optimize the remaining term of our service and their service, which is also helping to actually reduce our costs. As far as GNA goes, we're uh, still super lean, of course, with only 51 full-time employees here in Calgary, um, and we need all those people as we increase our capital programs next year, but uh, as we do increase those capital programs, the uh, per unit cost of our GNA goes down. In fact, uh, we should see the per unit cost shrink as production rises going forward in all categories. With, um, with increased prices, uh, that just means our cash net back will see all of the gains, really, if we have no costs that are, are going to scale up with higher prices. So we get to see it all on the bottom line, which is nice. So while this quarter was a tough one from a price and cash flow perspective, we do expect this was the low point, and uh, really it's uh, blue skies and, and straight up from here. So we're, we're excited to get this one in the rearview mirror and, uh, and get to future quarters that look much better for us. So basically that was uh, the quarter, just in a quick uh, summary. Um, you know, we're excited to get on with uh, Q3 and Q4. Uh, maybe without me talking too much more, Operator Josh, could we maybe turn it open to the listeners for uh, any questions they have? Yes. As a reminder, to ask a question, you'll need to press star 1 on your telephone. To withdraw your question, press the pound key. Please stand by while we compile the Q&A roster. Our first question comes from Timothy Hertz with John Bristol and Company. You may proceed with your question. Good morning, and thank you for taking my uh, my question. It seems like from the disclosure, uh, the market diversification uh, costs uh, should run about $30 million per quarter uh, through the first three quarters of 2021. Um, is that estimate about correct for the cost of the diversification? Uh, Tim, I'd have to go back and check that against uh, our marketing, but uh, we did update the uh, the market diversification information here on the website last night, so uh, um, we can go back and check that. If you want to send me an email, um, I can double-check that for you. Uh, we do have, obviously, some fairly expensive uh, exposure to the NYMEX that we put in place back in 2018. You'll recall that was really at the depths of when ACO was projected to be an uneconomic market for evermore, quite frankly. Uh, we had gas prices at that point that never rose over about $1.50. So we had to get out of ACO. Um, we, we put a bunch of our gas to the NYMEX at uh, basis deals that typically uh, were about three years. So they run out actually in the fall of 2021. So you're right, we do have a bit of... Uh, high-cost market diversification in front of us, and then that, that rolls off quite substantially. 
I'd have to double check exactly what that translates into for a dollar figure, though. Okay, thank you. You bet. Thank you, and as a reminder, to ask a question, you will need to press star one on your telephone. Please stand by, we compile the Q&A roster. Our next question comes from Alex Kitten with Nectron. You may proceed with your question. Hello, can, can you hear me well? Yeah. Okay. Um, first of all, congratulations on surviving. It's, uh, <laughs> I have great confidence in Pato, and I hope that the next 21 years prove to be as interesting as the last 21 years. And I think that surviving catastrophic risks so you're around to fight another day is clearly the most important priority for what otherwise is a very efficient company. <clears throat> I wonder if you can provide some color on what it is that you're doing specifically, which is perhaps a board level question, on ensuring that survival in, in cases of, say, gas prices again dropping to a dollar and a half uh, over a reasonably long period of time. That's a great question, Alex. One that we think about a lot, obviously. Um, we're, we're in this commodity business where we don't actually get to set the price of the products that we sell. Uh, you know, it would be great if we were producing iPhones or something and we could just go out and say that we wanted X for them and that made it covered all our costs. But that's not the case. Um, you know, we're, we're dealing with energy here, um, which, you know, really is a privatized industry in North America and in other, some other countries of the world, but isn't privatized everywhere. Uh, we're competing against a lot of different countries, in fact, that uh, where, you know, the state owns all the energy and uh, develops it uh, not for profit. Um, here we are trying to develop it for a profit. But I think, you know, right from day one, uh, we understood at Pato that the, the key to success in this industry was really controlling costs. Uh, that's the only real thing we do control. So we've always been focused uh, on our cost structure, both the capital that we spend um, and the cost to develop new reserves, as well as the cost to produce them and get them out of the ground and sell them. So uh, all of those pieces we've always been focused on. Uh, we've stayed very lean as a company. Uh, we've controlled all of our assets on purpose. Uh, we've built and owned our infrastructure on purpose. Uh, because it was a way in which we could keep all of our costs down to try and keep that margin as high as possible. That's the only real insulation that we have. Obviously, access to capital is a cost that uh, uh, these days ha has ballooned for the industry. Um, that's something that, you know, we've, we've obviously survived for 21 years by having good uh, access to capital. Cash flow is the best capital we have access to. Uh, coming off of our asset, um, and so keeping costs low and cash flows high obviously gives us the best access to capital. But, you know, we've had good support from bankers along the way and uh, good support from investors along the way, too. And uh, I think, you know, as long as we can continue to do our job, uh, we should continue to have that support uh, from those capital providers. Um, obviously, in this kind of environment, capital is incredibly tight. There's very little liquidity available to 
to producers. And so everyone's working with cash flow. And we're seeing the effect of that. We're seeing how much development can really occur with just cash flow. And obviously over the last decade, the industry has been overfunded uh, with capital coming from other sources over and above cash flows. And that's allowed the industry to grow and in some cases be wasteful. Um, we've, I think, been particularly good uh, at staying really lean and efficient uh, with our capital de deployment. Uh, and we've enjoyed relatively low cost of capital throughout our life. So, uh, you know, I think uh, when you don't control the commodity prices, the cost structure is the only thing you can focus on, and that's what we've always focused on, building a solid quality business with good assets that uh, have very low costs associated with them. Okay, just a short follow-on question. The one area that I think is built into Pato's DNA is to keep costs as variable as possible or as practical in a capital-intensive industry. And obviously, being able to turn production on and off and modify the production is one aspect of that. But another one is the longer-term aspect of capital spending on, on various things. And at, at that point, you're hedging needs to cover the period of inflexibility that you are forced into versus the period of flexibility that you have some control over. And of course, you want to keep some minimum staff level to maintain your competitive advantages as a company. Uh, do you have any comments on that? No, you're absolutely right, Alex. It's a good observation, and you know we've definitely designed Pato that way. We have a very long reserve life asset, you know, arguably uh, close to 10 years of producing reserves, uh, you know, close to 30 if you include the undeveloped component at this production level. Uh, and we do hedge actively, like you say, in the short term. Um, you know, we would prefer and have would have preferred to be more hedged even through some of this short term uncertainty and volatility that we couldn't predict. But like I say, we went through a period from 2017 to 19 when the gas market in Alberta was broken, uh, when really there was such a huge disconnection that the price wasn't representative of what was going on in, in, in the grander North American market. And, and we were caught, quite frankly, without an ability to get out of that market. And so, you know, we're not gonna let that happen ever again. We're smarter now. Uh, and I think we'll make sure that uh, we can continue to be well protected in the short term while uh, still having good exposure, obviously, in the long term. As you, as you suggest, you know, variability of cost structure with commodity price and it is really important and something that we've strived for. Uh, we want to get away from having fixed costs that don't scale when uh, you need to scale. Uh, we've always pushed to have as much variable cost component in our business as we could and to be as flexible and as nimble as we could. Uh, you know, part of obviously owning and controlling all of our asset base gives us that flexibility. But we've definitely seen, you know, the fixed component creep into our business more and more. Uh, government costs, as we characterize them, have increased substantially over the years. And those are the fixed parts that don't scale with the commodity price. And they're very frustrating, obviously. Um, not necessarily something that we have large control over, but we're definitely, as, an, uh, as part of the industry, pushing back on that fixed component. 
and it's really showing its teeth right now, obviously, with uh, it becoming such a large component of the industry's costs. And so we're making, obviously, governments very aware, and they're seeing the result of their behavior, too. I mean, industry activity is anemic right now. There's nothing going on. The industry isn't providing any jobs, really, for anybody when it should be, and that's partly because the government has taken such a big fixed piece out of the industry over the last few years, and so that has to change going forward. But, uh, you know, we have a government, I think, that's listening, and so... Hopefully they'll hear that message and uh, we'll make those changes. Well, congratulations again on a very tough period. It does appear to be better at the moment. And, it, of course, it can get worse. Perhaps you can convince government that they also need to have more variable costs and fewer fixed costs. We're definitely trying. <laughs> <laughs> Best of luck. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from David Popovich with CIBC. You may proceed with your question. Yeah, thanks, guys. Uh, I just had a question about a line in the press release uh, where you guys are talking about, you know, you've got four rigs running, uh, but you said, you know, if these rigs were to run next year, they could drill 40% more wells. So I guess I just wanted to understand how you guys are kind of governing activity on those four rigs right now, uh, you know, to drill at the current pace and how easy it would be for you guys to just you know, put the foot on the gas pedal and, uh, you know, start drilling more wells? Yeah, that's a good question, Dave. Maybe I'll just flip that right over to Lee and he can answer that. Yeah, sure, Dave. When we uh, when we laid out the balance of this uh, 2020 capital program and, and looked at the resources that we needed to uh, to execute the program, we, we decided, you know, in this market it was, uh, it was a wise decision to build a little bit of surplus in. Um, there's a couple reasons for that. Uh, you know, firstly, all of the all of the services and personnel we had working out there were really firing on all cylinders. Uh, there was no real gaps that gave us a reason to cull any of that herd. Um, you know, our field personnel have really embraced this culture of collaboration and, and healthy competition, and, and that's a, a little bit of a nice edge to, to walk along. But um, but so with that, we uh, we uh, we just uh, we just wanted to maintain that that um, tribal knowledge um, through our field operations. And so we kept, we kept a little bit of extra resources in play. Um, we saw this as an opportunity to, uh, to uh, work as a retention mechanism with our personnel and our services. And so, uh, so when the time came, which we forecast it will towards the latter part of this year and, and into 2021, where we could just step on the gas and, and, um, and not have to not have to risk uh, any performance loss as we often see when we reactivate new equipment and bring new people um, into our into our fold. We have a lot of we have a lot of very senior people in the field. Um, you know that's something we look at as a long-term strategy. How do we start rolling new people in, and we're working on that. But we've got a lot of 10 to 15-year people in our field operations well site supervision at the rig level. Some of them have been with Pato uh, for in excess of 20 years. So um, it's, a, it's a little bit of an anomaly in the industry, um, but we, we don't want to lose those people because what they know about our operations and, and, uh, and the efficiencies they bring to the table are just, to be quite frank, they're irreplaceable. So, um, so we use that to uh, as a bit of a tool. Um, we did not forecast the level of weather-related delays, so it, it acted, 
You know, it really helped us this year. Um, this year's been very anomalous in terms of the amount of uh, rainfall precipitation we've gotten up north. Um, what we've been experiencing here in Calgary is really nothing uh, compared to what we've been seeing up in the Edson country. Um, so, so having those ex uh, the extra resources and, and essentially we've got about a 30% extra capacity in terms of rig count. We're, we're running the equivalent of three, three rigs right now with four rigs. So we're metering these gaps in and some of them are superimposed with, uh, with weather delays and some of them are quite intentionally positioned so that we can we can see uh, feedback from given wells before we embark on another investment. So, so we're we're pretty much set up that way. Um, you know, our our service contractors have been with us for a long time. They saw it the same through the same lens that that we saw it. Um, it worked for both parties. They had surplus equipment and they wanted to retain key people, and uh, and they were very aligned in this initiative. And our field personnel received that message well. They bought into it. Um, you know, it's COVID and summer and people wanted to spend a little bit of extra time with their families. So um, so it's really been a functional program and, and we've seen it result in quite, you know, for me it was quite surprising. We, we, we've watched our cost per meter on the drilling side decline 10% through the quarter, um, which was more than I had really anticipated. Um, and I think part of that is just kind of the... Uh, the strategy that we implemented. Um, so, you know, in our completion cost as well, we're down to uh, we're down to thirty-seven thousand dollars a stage as as we reported. And from one, what I'm able to see, that's uh, that's the in the public domain. That seems to be the lowest cost per stage in the deep basin. So, you know, um, this has been a really successful program, and and I think we'll really see the rewards of of that as we uh, as we do increase our capital program towards the end of the year. You know, Dave, I'd add one more consideration, and that is the, the sort of working interest participation. Um, we do have some joint interest, obviously, in some of our lands, and uh, over the last year or two, uh, participation in operations has been quite variable. At times, nobody is participating with us, and at other times, guys are participating full on with their working interests. So we're obviously trying to design for net capital spending, uh, net operations net results but without knowing what those parties are going to do uh, we can go from you know being one net rig running to being two net rigs running depending on whether or not they're participating or not on a, on a well so that, that's a little bit of the unknown that we have to try and design for and so having the excess capacity allows us to make sure we can meet our net uh, depending on whether or not uh, you know, those other parties are participating. Okay, and uh, like, I don't want to belabor the point, I guess, but I just kind of, in terms of specifics, so I understand it, like, you guys aren't drilling the well slower. I mean, does it, is this kind of some commitment that you guys have made to the drilling companies where you say, look, we're prepared to pay the staff, assuming a full capital program, but we're only, we're drilling 40% fewer wells? I guess I'm just trying to understand uh, the specifics there. No, we're specifically designing, I think, short breaks in between wells where we shut everything down, we shut the cost down, we shut the activity down, everybody gets a week at home with their families and then they're back to work for another two or three weeks. Whereas normally, okay, that makes sense. I mean, uh, next year, for instance, those breaks are not going to be hopefully available uh, and I 
I'm sure that uh, people will be happy to have full-time uh, work and, and full full salary commitment as well. But um, you know, this year we're just sort of fitting in these small breaks on every rig that sort of makes them run at a at a more intermittent schedule. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, last question for me is just on you know spending into the back half of the year. I mean, obviously. Uh, you know, the NYMEX curves and pretty steep contango. I just want to get a sense of how you guys plan to approach capital spending toward the end of the year. Is there any chance that you guys would see some Q1 21 capital pushed into Q4 as you would look to bring some new gas on ahead of that? You know, obviously you guys are returns focused, but when you see, you know, the curve where it is and perhaps the opportunity to take advantage of some cheaper services in Q4 2020, you know, is there any chance that you guys would look to increase spending over and above what you've publicly stated as your guidance this year? Yeah, we do have that capability. Uh, we'll watch that closely. I mean, we didn't want to take on a lot of debt, obviously, over and above what we have today. Um, we want to grow into the debt level that we currently carry. Uh, you know, obviously, our debt to cash flow ratio is still pretty high, and uh, we, we want to bring that down. The easiest way to bring it down is to grow our cash flow without growing the debt. So, uh, you know, we'd like to stay close to being within our means. But practically speaking, you know, you know, winter is a is a busy season, and uh, we do expect to be more active there. But I think we'll keep that uh, keep an eye on that closely. You know, really, the the short term curve is is short term and doesn't necessarily provide a ton for us. What we'd really love to see is the back end of that curve come up. That's obviously going to be much more impactful long term for us. Good. Thanks very much, guys. I appreciate the answers. You bet. Thanks, Dave. Thank you. And I'm not showing any further questions at this time. I would now like to turn the call back over to Darren G. for any further remarks. Okay. Well, thanks, Josh. Um, it's been a busy reporting season, so I uh, understand everybody is uh, probably fatigued from all of the furious company reporting that's come out over the last little bit. Um, you know, as we said in the release, uh, th this obviously was a tough quarter for us. We're glad to have it behind us, and uh, we're looking forward to both stronger gas prices, uh, lower diversification costs, growing asset base into the future. Um, you know, we're much more optimistic on that. Um, you know, we've uh, we've settled with our bankers uh, to give us the relief we needed in the short term, uh, which incorporated obviously this this quarter. Um, and then from here, it gets much better. So, uh, you know, we're excited about the future here at Pato. We're excited about what we're seeing on the North American natural gas landscape. Um, obviously, everybody is going to have to be a little cautious with respect to COVID and its impact continuing uh, beyond, obviously, uh, the, the first wave of this pandemic uh, and how that's going to affect uh, commodity markets globally. There's still obviously a, a problem with oil and uh, and there's still the issue with OPEC, but uh, you know I think from a natural gas perspective, uh, things are looking pretty pretty optimistic right now. Uh, prices are rising. Uh, we're taking those off the table actively and getting back to much more uh, Pado style uh, hedge protection, which uh, then gives us a lot more comfort into the capital programs, the cash flow we're going to generate, and uh, and ultimately we can look at. Uh, getting much more uh, uh, strong in terms of earnings generation uh, as we go forward. Uh, this, this was the toughest year, but uh, beyond this, we see uh, 
the much more significant earnings uh, coming back to the fold, which is what we've always enjoyed as a company. So well, the start of this next 20-year period is a, is a bit of a rough one. Uh, uh, things are looking like they're getting better quickly, so we're excited about that. So we'll be back to you with uh, Q3 in November and uh, should have some, uh, some more interesting results to, uh, to share with you. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.